Welcome to Dudes of Beers Podcast, episode 40. That's almost my age. Right. I'm Joe. Matt's and jo- age. And joining me are my co-hosts, Matt. Hi. And Darren. Hi. The video version can be found on Facebook and YouTube. The audio version can be found on all major podcasting platforms. Please visit dwbshow.com for all links. On this show, we'll be discussing the Union Pacific all-electric locomotive purchase. EV charging infrastructure opportunities for utilities. Koenigsegg, I, th- I think that's, that's how you say it. Unveils their first electric drive unit. Meta's AI research supercluster. 5G ultra band. Ultra wideband is finally here. In most areas, some areas. The cost of spaceflight before and after SpaceX. Amazon Prime is, in, is, in, is increasing by 20 buckaroos. And Starlink premium service is coming. We'll be drinking, Phyllis. Um, PBR? Yeah, we're taking it easy because we're doing a beer drop later. That's right, that's right. Matt's got the... Uh, Miller Latte? Miller no, Latte? just Miller Light, not Latte. Um, Latte's a thing, right? Latte? Latte? It's Miller, called, do Miller they have? Latte? Uh, Bush, I think Bush... No, the, Bush one, the one guys call it Bush Light Latte, but did they yeah. actually make a Latte? They, they made one. P- I, I know PBR made the, uh, the hard uh, <laughs> Well, coffee. they have... They have more now. Do they? I didn't know that. The other coffee flavors, yeah. or yeah, they have like a, a chocolate one and mm. and a few it's other ones. It's not bad, actually. Like the the one they made was not bad. Mm. Um, I am drinking a Mad Tree, a tropical psychopathy. Um, it is a tropical India pale ale with natural flavors. Uh, ABV is six point nine percent. Mad Tree is in Cincinnati, Ohio. Pretty good. Like you've had the regular tropical. Have you had this one yet? I've, I've or I've, the regular psychopathy. Yeah, rather? I've never been a fan of psychopathy. It's um, it's very hoppy. Like it's got a very distinct hoppy profile, mm-hmm. real real hoppy profile. This is uh, this mellows it out. I think. Oh, nice. Not too bad. Yeah, I got I got burnout on that when we first had. Yeah, when they fr- yeah, when they that fr- was like, that was the like the one of the thing. first ones. It was one of the first like uh-huh. really like really hoppy IPAs you could get around here. Yeah. Uh, exciting news since the last podcast. I don't really have anything exciting. Um, I mean, I got new tires on my car, so I can actually drive it in the winter now. Because <laughs> my performance model three came with the summer only performance tires, which I didn't. I didn't really know anything about that when I bought it. So I guess that rubber compound is it's made to be soft, so it can be super grippy when it gets hot. If you drive it below forty five degrees, it can you know it. It's not made to, to operate in those temperatures, so it, it will harden and crack, and you'll ruin them. So I got some uh, Michelin um, Michelin, Michelin all-weather, uh, and I'm going to try to sell the, the summer ones. We'll see. So hopefully, because I'm not going to put them back on. I'm not going to swap them back and forth. Yeah. And I'm definitely not buying another set of wheels so I can have them because those are just ridiculously expensive. But <laughs> And I'm not going to be going to the track either, so there's no reason for me to really keep them. I tried to tell Joe when he was trying to get his car. Well, you there's no just lot. get the long range and I get know. the boost. The long range with the boost, and I still could have got those rims, and I would have just got, and it would have came with the all the all uh, all seasons, right? The four seasons or whatever. What you been up to, Matt? Nothing. Work. Nothing exciting. It's kind of hard for anything exciting to happen this time of year. I feel like um, weather's we, super we had, crappy. We had this happen. Mm-hmm. What happened? Bengals. Bengals yep. going to the Super Bowl. Who day? What a game. Man. It was a game. Was, uh, man. I thought it was over with. 
that first half was like, what? Yeah. 21 to three. We were, we almost came home and left. Did you? Oh like, my gosh. I'm glad I'm you not, didn't. I'm not staying here. But yeah, I'm glad I didn't either. I think you? Darren watched his first football game in like forever. I think you watched the week before that, didn't I you? I watched the week before oh, that because okay. we were at my mom card. and dad's because my dad's a super diehard mm-hmm. Bengals fan and he was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dad, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm I not. I'm not getting my hopes up for for next Sunday, so we'll see. Oh, I am. I totally like, am. I, I just I'm glad we're there. If we don't if we don't win, it, I'm fine. I'm just glad they're closing schools at the day after. Did Middletown <laughs> do that, or did this, is it just Cincinnati? I don't know. There's a bunch of different ones. It's so stupid. Yeah. I know Cincinnati Public Schools. It's everybody's like, it. like, it's been 31 years since we've been to the Super Bowl. Everybody's so. like, oh, just move it to Saturday, so you don't have to. Hit. No, just watch the game and then put yeah. your kids to bed. I mean, I would like it to. Be, I would prefer it to be on Saturday. Oh my God, I'd love it to be on Saturday. Like, I don't understand why they don't do that. I mean, you would probably. Not that there would be less people that because watch it, but it's always been yeah. Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, but we we never had we didn't have we originally didn't have Monday night games no. or Thursday night games True. or and in, in the playoffs we've got Saturday games. True, so they well, could change it if they want. Saturdays to. reserved for college. Yeah, it's true. I mean, what college game is Saturday that time no, of year? I don't know. Nothing. I don't but think there is. Basketball, I think, is the only thing on right now, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe some uh, yeah. hockey and. Uh, we've been up with we've been up to other than plowing snow. Plowing snow, working, the play, baby playing with the baby, the baby. I'm here. And then I'm here to see the baby. And then 3D printing nonstop. <laughs> yep, I I sorry I got you hooked on. Uh, I got I got I got you on something new, man. Uh, it's all right. I told you. I was like, it's it's your problem now, not mine. That that printer, but you you got it worked <laughs> out now. I think you got the love the uh, the reinforcement on there. And you got the new uh, magnetic, magnetic plate, bed. so probably. Yeah. I just, I was just, I just didn't want to see it anymore. <laughs> yeah. How's your new printer? Uh, I'm not the, the CR10. I have not printed anything on it yet. No, you just so been getting it, it, getting it tweaked well, out. No, it's so freaking big. I have no place to put it. Oh, you literally oh. need to build another air or like ex- extend your yeah workspace to get it to work. Yeah. Like I, I even putting it on a, a standard countertop. It sticks out that far off oh. of the standard countertop. It looked like you had it. The so power I, supply sitting on something so, else. So I had it turned sideways, and uh, I had the power supply sitting on a stool. Is it? It is not mounted to it normally. No. Okay. No, it's a full. The like everything. Yeah, you just unplug it and. Gotcha. But I'm trying to get that back room. I'm going to set up both printers up back in there. You know, build a bigger counter, and then I just had to. I got, I got everything to do it. I just haven't had time to do it. Gotcha. You get, you gonna turn your old cistern into your print room, dude? That's nice, nice even temperature in there. Yeah, probably. that would be a nice. Even Is there anything in there right now? Uh, yeah. Trash and stuff, right? Well, it's not trash. It's just stuff that I don't know where to put right oh, now. Just uh, because put in the stuff you can put in the barn. Everything, everything that was over in the basement, in the bar area. Now that the bar's there. finished, now it's all gotcha. tucked back in there. What's the size of that room? Uh, 10 by 10. Could you build, like, some shelves or bits of metal shelves or something in there? I'm going to, but there's still concrete from when I cut through in there. Oh. And then there's there's layers of sediment from because a cistern takes the outside water yeah. and just over years it's this fine powdery dust. Mm. It, yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. I would just board it up. <laughs> 
<laughs> All that work to get into it to board it up. Well, he only needed to get in there to run the vent. He yeah. cares now. Uh, from electric.co, Union Pacific buys 10 more all-electric locomotives, this time from Caterpillar Inc.'s Progressive Rail. I didn't know Caterpillar had a, a business separate business unit for electric locomotives. Um, and they invested over $100 million in total. So I think they bought some from another uh, company, which is listed here, and then they also bought some from Caterpillar. So it says, yeah, uh, following recent news of the purchase of 10 locomotives from uh, Wabtec, Union Pacific Railroad has followed up by purchasing another 10 from Progress, Progress Rail, a Caterpillar Inc. company. Um, combined, the uh, the purchases and upgrades to its rail yard infrastructure are expected to exceed $100 million, making it the largest investment in battery electric technology by a U.S. Class 1 railroad. So what I, I don't understand is, okay, all locomotives are diesel electric. Because they're just a diesel-generated electric motor, right? What? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they're diesel. There's diesel diesel generator. And yeah, there's that, electric that motors power, on there. Fires the electric motors for oh, the yep. for the locomotives. Unless oh. you unless you have like an older one that that's still steam powered or coal powered. Okay. Do they, like, are there any of those still operating? Yeah, that, like commercially operating. Yeah, because it's you know like the one over in Lebanon, it's still steam powered. Uh, the one okay. It, the like one at uh, Kings more, Island, um, yeah, it's just it's just for for nostalgia uh, tran- tra- uh, transportation. But like, there is one that goes across the United States like once a year that that's still steam powered. More coal pede- powered. more pedestrian, not not really commercial, right? Like hmm. Cargo or something. So my my question is is like, you know, and they really didn't go into it because I'd like to see the infrastructure. Because all these rail yards that they they go into mm. are going to have to be fitted Damn. to charge these up. Yeah. Uh, so what are they going to just have some diesel generators there, and then basically it's I know they I know they said they wanted to be net zero by yada yada yeah, yada, like but twenty fifty or something. <clears throat> but what are they going to are they going to have big solar fields in these? Because some of these train yards are huge, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. Yeah, it says that uh, Union Pacific, uh, it's one of the largest and longest tenured railroads in North America. Um, They were founded in 1862, currently operate over 8,000 locomotives across 23 states. Um, This past December, they published their climate action plan. So it's outlining their efforts to reduce their greenhouse emissions throughout its operations. Uh, As part of that plan, they intend to reduce... Uh, there's scope one and two emissions. I'm not sure what those are referring to. Um, I guess they got different, you know, if it's actually the locomotives or if it's other things. But it says by 26% by 2030. And then, like you said, Darren, they want to achieve net zero uh, by 2050. Um, it says part of the effort began last week when they announced the purchase of 10 FLX drive locomotives from – uh, manufacturer and freight company Wabtec, and then this one, uh, another ten from um, Progr- Progress Rail, which is part of Caterpillar. So the the scope scope one covers direct emissions from owned or controlled sources. Uh, scope two covers indirect emissions from the generation of purchased electricity, steam, heating, and cooling consumed by the reporting company. Right, and okay. then there's a scope three that includes all other indirect emissions that occur from who in yeah. a company's value chain. Gotcha. Hmm. 
So two would be so even if they replaced everything to electric, if they're still buying their electricity from right. a coal power plant, that would be okay. So, so so they are looking into renewable sources for. Well, no, it said it say. Yeah, it said they were trying to reduce it by twenty thirty and then go all net zero by twenty fifty. So yeah, it's just from 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 electricity or steam. So they could do geothermal or solar. Yeah. And or wind. Yeah, power. the generation can be from a lot of different sources. Because as long as it's it, they're not purchasing it, then they'll be generating their own. So at least they're looking into the future mm-hmm. of of diving into that. And then heck, if they're producing more energy than that, then the electric companies could yeah offset that, and then they could get a break, and we could maybe get a break, and. Yeah. It, it says when, once these uh, once the 20 trains are delivered, they expect to have the largest carrier-owned battery electric locomotive fleet in the world. Um, they said that uh, the Progress Rail EMD Jewel, which is the locomotive they're buying from them, it's 118.1 tons um, with an available battery capacity of 1.9 to 2.4 megawatt hours yeah. with additional options available. It has a nominal power of 3,000 horsepower and a runtime up to 24 hours on a single charge, depending on utilization. And it says, like the Wabtec uh, FLX drive, the EMD dual battery recovers energy reserves through dynamic braking. So, yeah, like, just like Teslas and other EVs, when they're, it's going down a hill, it'll, it'll regen, which is pretty cool. Hmm. So a normal... Uh, So a normal, um, most electric lo- locomotives weigh between 100 and 200 short tons, which is 90 to 180 metric tons, and provide about 6,000 to 7,000 horsepower. Wow. Oh, geez. This is nowhere near what a... Right. But more torque probably because it's... Well, and like I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. So that's 4,500 to 5,200 kilowatts. Gotcha. That's just what come up on this power of trains, mm. physics, fact book, hyper textbook. Mm. That's cool. Um, both of the locomotives, the, the different locomotives they're buying, are going to be manufactured in the U.S. Um, Wabtec expects to deliver its first units, um, the FLX drives, to Union Pacific in late 2023. And Progressive Rail gave a similar timeline and expects all 10 EMD Jewel deliveries to be completed by early 2024. So uh, the diesel locomotives, which is the diesel energy that connects to the electric generator, uh, they are around thirty two hundred horsepower, so it's it's about the same. It's oh. about the same then. Okay. Um, and it says the um, uh, the twenty electric locomotives will be used in rail yards in California and Nebraska, where they will be tested in uh, for performance in both cold and warm weather. So this will help them identify which which one has the best capabilities, what kind of challenges they're going to have before they make a further investment and. You know, maybe one will be better in the, than the other in cold or warm, so they could, you know, I, or I, maybe one will just be better for both, and they'll go with that vendor over the other I wonder how one. much the the weight of the battery pack, like how much is a an actual locomotive, and then yeah. how much is the battery pack? Yeah, it didn't really Because say. that's a big battery pack. Yeah, um, they probably have some, like if we go to their, their <laughs> website press release, they might have other information. I did not look that up, but. It's cool. Like we've been talking about, it. everything's going electric. I mean, <laughs> planes, so, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> so, if it's a two megawatt 
train? 1.9 to 2.4 megawatt hours, what it said. Is that a, is that the six zeros? Is a megawatt, the, like a million? What's a megawatt? Uh, I'm thinking like how many? a thousand many? watts? Is that yeah. what it is? Because no? a kilowatt's a thousand watts, oh, so yeah. a megawatt's so a it, million watts, right? Is it? I don't know. Or 10,000. I don't know. I was trying to find the convert. I'm just wondering how many Tesla battery packs. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Need That's to make good. up this. So it's a million. It's a million. It's a million. So a megawatt is a thousand kilowatts, which is equal to a million watts. So okay. So this is a two million megawatt system. It's just 24 Teslas, 24 Tesla 24 Model Ys. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, I wonder what kind of like battery they're using to get that density because yeah. they can't fit that many, you know, like <clears> you said, you can't have 20, 24 equivalent battery packs that would fit in a so, EV in, in there. So also, all, also off of Maybe. that, it says a typical. I guess if there's nothing else in there. A right. typical coal plant is about 600 megawatts in size. Oh, wow. Okay. Gigawatts measure the capacity of larger power plants or many other plants. That's cool. Oh, I, I can't wait to see one of these things chugging. And then 1.21 gigawatts is lightning. Get well, you guess, through time. I guess it would, it were, can we really call it chugging if it's not using yeah. steam anymore? <laughs> what would we call it? It would just be creeping? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> you got me on that one. That for, for once, I don't have anything to say. You heard it here first. We stumped <laughs> in. From electric.co, here's why EV charging infrastructure is an opportunity for utilities and how sticking with fossil fuels could make them obsolete. So they're talking about, um, this was more of a, it was a, I don't know if you guys re- had a chance to read this, but it was an interview that uh, Electric's Michelle Lewis did with the head of Enel North America, um, his name is Enrico Viali, I think is how I say it. But they were talking about how clean energy is better and cheaper than fossil fuels and why modernizing the grid and battery storage are vital for EV charging and renewables implementation. So this will be in the show notes. I'm not going to – I won't read it for verbatim, but she she asked some very good questions. Um, and some of his answers, like I had never heard of Enel, um, but apparently like they're a big – renewable energy provider in the u.s and canada um and they're they're growing uh, pretty pretty rapidly so um you know some of the things that she asked she said you know Jesus. apart yeah just <laughs> i have their website link too so yeah they have 100 plants across north american continent and they produce 10.1 gigawatts yeah so it's a leading developer, long-term owner and operator of renewable energy plants with a presence in 14 states, working to build a sustainable future for communities and businesses across the U.S. Um, yeah, their, their website's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, so 64 plants, 6.4 gigawatts. Um, and then they, here's like a map of, I zoomed out, but, I mean, they're all over, but. Yeah, they're not just U.S. and Canada. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe that's where they're... Well, that's what it said in the... They definitely have a global presence. Yeah, dual-use sustainable plant. 
Well, they got nine plants close to. I don't know if that's the number. Yeah. 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 They've been big in Texas lately because of, I think, you know, with, the, those, with that ice storm that happened. $70,000 bills people were trying to yeah. get. Yeah. I mean, they had a big thing with that. And then, um, <laughs> yeah. What was it? Yeah. Like 70K, some of those people yeah. were saying. But it looks like they're what's 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 the three right there close to us? Um, they were like Chicago ish. Okay, I'm trying to see like what uh, are these like coming or are these already they already have presence? Tomorrow. Yeah, so they're not just U.S. So yeah, it, it shows has, like, what they yeah, are. So they're solar, wind, solar. Wind. What's the what's the one down here? Wind. Now wind. Go, no, go go down. That one, solar. No, zoom out. That one. That looks like uh, a little earthquake. Hydro. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's hydro. Hydro. Okay. That's cool. That's you can. So they're definitely. I mean, they're global. I thought they were just U.S. and Canada, but <clears throat> I guess I didn't zoom out enough the other day. But um, yeah, it's uh, they we got a they got a huge. I mean, their website breaks everything down. Um. Like their the the projects they are they have in development the ones that are coming up the ones that are working on they they already yeah in operation under construction and in development and these are just a few like there's a ton of them dude um yeah and I I we've never I've never seen them in uh in anything anything else that we've looked at before um and I feel we're being silenced by the man <laughs> <laughs> you know I feel we follow you know yeah, yeah like you would think renewable we energy and stuff as much a lot. as we the things that we come across. It was like but. it was like one of those electric uh car companies that we never heard of. What was it? Oh, the Badger. Yeah. Yeah, I sent I, I said well I sent like one was the Badger or something. I sent one to you and I was like maybe it was the bus thing. I I don't remember but everybody was like we never even heard of this and they've been around for like 2 years or something. Right. Um I don't know, Matt. Was there anything particular in this that caught your eye? There was a couple of things, like some of the stuff that he said that they're doing uh, that were really cool. Um, I didn't know if there was anything that you particularly wanted to talk about. Um, but one of the questions that she asked was, you know, what are they doing to make the switch to renewables? And what is the long-term plan to get to net zero? And he said, you know, part of their strategy um, and their the commitment uh, so it says net zero commitment by 10 years from 2050 to 2040. So they originally said we're going to get to net zero emissions by 2050, and they recently said, no, we're going to do it by 2040 now. Um, and this co includes direct and indirect emissions uh, existing, exiting the production and sale of gas by 2040 and reaffirming our coal exit by 2027. So that's like six years from now. They're going to completely get out of coal. Says they'll be investing directly um, $191 billion and mobilizing an additional $45 billion through third parties to drive renewable growth, decarbonize the electric supply, and scale infrastructure globally. Says this is an aggressive timeline. This type of transformational commitment from all utilities will be crucial to achieve the decarbonization targets set by the Paris Agreement back in 2015. So it looks like they're working with a lot of these other companies to help them achieve these goals. So it's not just them, which is pretty cool. And one of the other things I need to find, um, oh, yeah. So she said, you know, 
why and to what extent is grid-connected EV charging uh, going to matter to utilities and consumers in 2022? And, he, you know, and, and Enrico said, 20 years ago, <laughs> telecommunications companies were primarily focused on landlines until the introduction of cell phones presented a new revenue stream through their role as a network operator. Uh, <laughs> who still has a landline? Like, do you know anybody that has a oh, landline? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't. My, my I don't know. So I don't know anybody. My own parents. So my my mom and dad had a landline forever, and then all that ever called it was telemarketers. So they just got disconnected. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So Elizabeth wanted want, uh, a landline, but it wasn't really a landline because it was still a it's cell the, line, the, the, like a, like or one of the one Voight, of the Verizon. The yeah. So it was a. It was through Verizon. It was twenty dollars a month. And we never called never it. Used never it. Yeah. used it. Yeah. And and all the only phone calls we ever got were from telemarketers. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, why do we even pay for this? Um, it says in the coming years, a similar situation will exist for utilities surrounding grid connected EV charging, particularly as consumers' demand for EVs increase, and the major auto manufacturers around the world execute on their EV commitments. Which we talk, we've talked a lot about that. They're all they're all going full bore. Um, to remain competitive in a growing market, more utilities must start to position themselves not only as energy suppliers and network operators, but also as service providers to enable the transition to 100% electric, electric transportation future. Um, it says ownership and management of EV charging infrastructure and consumer incentive programs presents a significant opportunity for the utilities and will allow them to better manage increased electricity demand via smart EV charging and demand response. For electric car owners, smart EV charging provides additional income opportunities through rebate programs and cost savings around electric costs. I mean, we've been talking about this. Like, when are these big energy companies going to start? I mean, we're seeing we're starting to see some of it, but like, I think it's like you know maybe planning stages, but I think it's kind of it's it's slow compared to the adoption of the EVs. I think. Right, but the nice thing about about companies like this is. The more this stuff gets out in the next, let's say, five years, yeah. you're going to see the solar cost for home installs yeah. go way down because they are pouring all this stuff into uh, research and development mm -hmm. so they can get their most bang for their buck. And, you know, with the silicon, how the, the photovoltaic panels are made now, efficiency is getting the better. efficiency is getting better and the cost is coming down. So I mean, you know, I, I would love to have solar at my house. I just yeah, I, would I just don't want to put that much money into yeah. my house right now. Yeah, and then, unless you know you're going to be there for twenty or thirty years. Well, I mean, I I plan to be, but right. you, you know, things things change in life. Yeah. So. I thought the uh, battery storage stuff was pretty cool. So she asked, you know, what role battery storage will play in modernization of the grid, and in, in the U.S. particularly, and what steps will utilities need to take to implement battery storage and, and, you know, uh, Enrico says, uh, a modernized grid is smart, flexible, and able to quickly respond to surges in demand. But a major barrier scaling adoption of renewables is meeting the fluctuating demand as it's intermittent, you know, which we've talked about that a lot. We talked about like how the peaker plants work and mm -hmm. how you need battery storage to help augment that. Um, and it says our current, you know, he said our current energy system is designed around a technology available dec decades ago. Mm -hmm. So during demand spikes and network disturbances, utilities and network operators typically respond by firing up those fossil fuel peaker plants 
to to uh, maintain the balance of the electricity system that the electricity system requires. And those plants are exceedingly co- uh, costly to operate, and they are they release significant pollution um, emissions. So it's difficult to replace them with intermittent renewable energy sources. So uh, that's where you know because you can't just put a solar or a wind farm up. I mean to replace a peaker plant, it, it's just not how they work. So that's when they say you know you can only you have to have battery storage to help fill that gap. Um, and it says, by storing surplus energy generated at times of low demand, utility-scale batteries can make renewable energy resources available 24 hours a day. This makes the grid more effective and be able to respond to those demand periods more efficiently and help leverage the full power of renewable energy from 2022 and beyond. So um, it looks like it, they talk about, I guess, in Texas alone, Enel Green Power has five projects under construction Representing, representing an additional 550 megawatts of battery storage. To put that number into perspective, Texas had just over 100 megawatts of operational utility-scale battery storage at the end of 2020. So, you know, over it's five quite times. Quite the jumps. Yeah. And then she asked, you know, what will an upgraded grid look like, and when do you think the U.S. will be realistically able to achieve that? And Enrique, Enrique, um, Enrique Go keep saying Enrique, Enrique Go, Enrique O. Uh, an updated grid needs to be decentralized, digitized, and able to effectively leverage distributed energy resources, DERs. As we saw this past winter and summer, extreme weather brought on by climate change can have devastating impact on the electric grid. And while there is some movement around updating the grid, the U.S. grid, major shifts like transmission infrastructure build out in large capacity additions will not happen overnight. And it says, you know, they're going to need... The, you know the, they're going to need all these things, and it's going to take. It's still going to take decades, right, for for this to happen. We have nearly six million miles of local distribution lines linking thousands of generating plants to factories, homes, and businesses. There is tremendous opportunity to transform the U.S. distribution network system and modernize the grid over the next decade, and this will remain a key priority for NL. So, we've talked about like the microgrid and. Mm-hmm. People being able to feedback, like if ever, like everybody had, well, not everybody, but even if you had like twenty or thirty percent of every house, all the houses that had solar and can feed back in, right, on a microgrid perspective, like that will help. What was that with these outages and things like that? Or it could. What was that thing through Intel that they were going to? Yeah, that that whole microgrid, right. like they were helping develop like the technology and the software to where, um, yeah, it would help control that because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have like a neighborhood could be its own microgrid. Right. So if your your grid power went down, if enough people had um, solar panels or whatever and battery storage, they could share that energy out to the rest of the community uh, and help offset. Or even if there was like a really, really high energy demand period, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the summer, everybody's got their AC on, it's super hot, like you could help offset that uh, that the the coal or the traditional grid, you know, from the coal flower fire plants or whatever, yeah. you could help offset that from the microgrid perspective. Because if ever, if if you have 40 percent of people that have uh, solar power, you're usually not using one hundred percent of your solar power <coughs> at peak no. at peak time. And so it would be easy to share it to other people. So, but it needs to be easy. Right. It needs to be digitized. You need to be able to get paid for it well, see, or that, get a credit, not just because right now you can get credits, but <laughs> you can never get you can never get a, a, a net effect above well, zero. Because where I have at least not here, where I have a co-op, 
if you produce more than what you use, yeah. you have to get into a license agreement with the main co-op to get because Butler Roll is part of oh, a, I gotcha. a bigger conglomerate of co-ops. So if I produce, if I let's say I put in, you know, twenty. Uh, 21 kilowatt kilowatt hours, yeah, some kilowatt hours instead of like a 10 kilowatt yeah so if i put in like a 20 well i'm not going to use that much so i would be putting stuff back into the grid and then they would make me get into a license agreement to be able to to be able be to do that, that or something not, not even or to just, pay, be able just to, to, get, be, able just to be able to do to generate it. Huh. right Huh. And and you know that that's the whole frustrating thing about all the renewable energy, yeah. Because batteries are expensive, yeah. And until we break that that scale, because those batteries don't, you know, what people are using right now are deep cells or yeah. or whatever. Yeah, because the power wall is what like fifteen thousand, something like that. Yeah, they're expensive, but every yeah, every two years. Pricey. Every two years, you're going to have to replace your your marine batteries or whatever, yeah, and those aren't cheap. So yeah, I think like the the way that uh, the traditional utility companies give you credit or pay you um, for feeding back into the grid needs to change as well. Because the way I understand it, a lot of places, if you're putting more back into the grid than you're using, uh, they, I think it's called net metering or whatever mm-hmm. is what most places call it is. They will give you credits, right? But those credits expire; they're not good forever. Right. <laughs> so, wow. now if you're always putting in more than you're using, then you'll never—you'll basically have a zero-dollar bill. Yeah. But you could put in two or three hundred percent of what you're using; you're still only going to have a zero-dollar bill. They right. will never pay you money. Yeah, and that's, which to me is not that like that's not cool, right? Because you you made the investment, but like my neighbors, yeah. they have a. They're they're full solar geothermal, and uh, I mean they probably she, don't use that much grid power at all. No, they, they don't have they have battery storage though. No, so, so they still use some at night. So their last bill was twelve dollars. Oh wow, because they have uh, credits from the, but they what they're they don't back. they're not me or they're not you. Still, they don't have <laughs> hundreds of smart devices and computers lots and going. lots of electronics going. Ginormous but, TVs. They don't. They don't have that uh, always on. Uh, right. Uh, power that like we do. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I think I think that like we know it needs to change. Like this guy gets it. This company NL is gonna is working to do that. And by the way that it's going, they're all over the place. So right. it's just a matter of time. And I think uh, you know hopefully they can help accelerate it. And um, we're gonna also need uh, new laws and and. Um, things that are going to have to be passed to help help that as well because you know it's going to be expensive. It's not going to be it's not no. going to be cheap. I mean, some of these. Th- I mean, these these transmission lines. Oh yeah, uh, are very expensive <coughs> and hard and hard to work on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you you saw them when they were working on these new transmission lines here where we live. Did you see the helicopter flying with the guy hanging off of the ladder? Uh, not around here, but I've seen like the they, videos. They were of, doing it when they, they when they did it over here. Yeah, yeah, because it was it was so cool because you'd see them. No, it was thank a you. what? A okay. guy doing you. what? Yeah, they, so, you ever seen those guys so on the here, helicopters so here's that work what, on the high power transmission line? No, but a ladder. So so no. they no. 
They're on the so helicopter. So they were pulling in new lines on these high transmission lines that run through here. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have a staging area. Helicopter comes down with a grapple. They hook it to a ladder, a special made ladder. These guys are clipped onto the ladder. The grapple's clipped to the ladder. They fly them up, sit them down on the high transmission lines. On the ladder, they climb the ladder, do what they need to do. Yeah. They they're, not, back. they're not grounded, so they're fine. They come back, they, they put them, they grab it, and they take them <clears> to the next spot. It's crazy. I'll, I'll yeah. show you a video of it later. Let's say I've, I've never seen a, a ladder involved in yes. any of those videos for that stuff. No, that that's the ones where they're just maintenance. When they're actually doing Run. the construction of them, yeah. it's crazy. What? Those guys get paid buku probably. No thanks. I hope so. <laughs> Sheesh. From carscoops.com, uh, Koenigsegg unveils their, unveils, unveils their first electric drive unit uh, developed in house. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, this this thing's a beast, dude. Like the, I love the terms that they were using for this. So, um, they put out a press release. Uh, this was January thirty first. Um, it says, known as the Terrier, the torque vectoring electric drive unit uses two cork motors with a novel <laughs> torque power rich balance between radial power dense and axial. Torque dense flux topology dubbed raxial flux. If your eyes haven't glazed over yet, the Terrier also incorporates a David inverter and planetary gear sets. More importantly, the company noted the Terrier is the most power torque dense torque vectoring drive unit in e- in the EV industry. Can you say that like five times nope. fast? <laughs> um. So it says, jumping into the fun stuff, the Cork electric motor produces 335 horsepower and 442 foot-pounds of torque. As a result, each 887-pound Terrier develops 671 horsepower. However, the company said peak torque is only 811 foot-pounds instead of the expected 885. That's interesting to note, but all figures are provisional. Uh, Koenigsegg said the key driver for the development of the Cork electric motor was to continue their record-breaking legacy with the, is it the Gamera? That I, gu- I would say Gamera. That oh, guy, yeah. the guy that in that video, I don't, I couldn't pronounce it like he pronounced it. It's, is it. Is it German? I don't know. It's got to be German or it's something. It's got to right? be German. While also offering the wider market the opportunity to tap into a, a torque-rich, ultra-compact e-motor for wide-ranging applications, besides <laughs> uses in electric vehicles, Koenigsegg said the electric motor could be installed in boats and vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Hmm. The company also explained its name by saying the electric motor relooks at the fundamentals of magnetism, materials, cooling, and packaging instead of following the norm. Koenigsegg went on to point out quarks are the only particle to experience all four fundamental forces, electromagnetism, gravitation, strong interaction, and weak interaction. <laughs> electric motor design lead, Dragos Mihai Postarai. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. Added, the cork is designed to bolster the low speed range of the Gamera where you need it for brutal acceleration. The ICE, the internal combustion engine, then focuses on the high speed range. What this means in terms of performance for the Gamera is a big power surge followed by a continuous record speed push to 248 miles per hour without any torque or power 
losses. And and everything they've ever designed or done has just been like, it's like almost like the redneck that says, "Hold my beer," <laughs> right? And then let's no no offense, to rednecks, because I'm pretty much hey, yeah. redneck, but. But, you know, it's just one of those things that they're like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, I can. Yeah. Watch this. Yeah. We were just look. we went to the, because we, we clicked on the link for the Gamera, which was back in like March of 2020. Is that what it said, Matt? Yep. I think. And like, this was definitely updated since then, but like, they're only going to make like 300 of them and they're going to be like a million dollars a piece. Yeah. And it says, at the end of the day, the Terrier is a lightweight and powerful electric drive unit that's <clears throat> compact and can be directly mounted to the chassis. That being said, the company will have more to say about the Terrier in the future. And then they've got the, uh, some gallery picks if you want to dive into it, but it's just crazy looking. Mm-hmm. It kind of like, is I don't I, I'm assuming the cans for scale. I don't know what they put the can in there for. Um, is that like a 16 ounce can? I don't know, 15 or 12. What, what or, was it? Because it it said yeah it said something Koenigsegg on it. Um, let me click off this just in case. Um, clean something. Yeah, I don't know. So there's the components. Clean. clean it says clean clean, clean, clean Koenigsegg. But I, we, I don't know. I, that's can you zoom that, in on those at all? Or? I don't, I'm thinking it's just for scale. No. Whoa. Holy moly. Yeah. Man, that thing's sexy though. It is. I, I think it it looks like a sick it looks like a pint can to me. Yeah. But that's it it it, it does look like a tall boy. I don't know if you guys saw the mm-hmm. um the any I don't know if you've been watching any of the, the Monroe Live teardown of the mm-hmm. plaid. They did the I just watched the one that was like a twelve minute video of the rear axle. Um and it looks really similar. I mean, I'm sure it's not the same thing. It can't be, but it looks really similar to that middle piece well, there's, there. There's only so many certain ways that you could make a right. But and I we didn't we didn't really talk about it. Uh, we didn't have anything in here for it. But yeah, if you guys aren't watching that, go check that out because it almost looks like a cobra, the cobra, mm-hmm. the GI Joe cobra symbol. Yep. <laughs> Because I thought it was is like that a, their symbol? That's their symbol. Though, a mix it? between yeah. like a Porsche symbol and yeah, um, but that is that. That's the that's the unit all put together. So there's two. So there's two of those, yeah. and then one of those. Where is that? Or is that something else? What is that? Oh, that's the David. That's that's the actual. So maybe that is a separate piece. But there's two of those. The actual drive units inside of that, right? Or no, it's in the middle. I see. I see now. That middle piece is that part. It's yeah. the David part. Yeah. And then you've got the corks on either side. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I would just. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what it does against the plaid. Work. Yeah. I just want to see one of these in person, man. That thing's yeah. crazy looking. But what, what was that car that that just came out that just. Completely stomped the plaid. Was it the Lucid Air or something Definitely else? not the Lucid Air. No? I don't know. Maybe it was the Conseg. Yeah, I don't know. Could be. I have to look it up. Yeah, Pretty look cool. it up. Look it up! From Facebook, uh, they and they introduced and announced, I guess, too, um, their AI research supercluster, uh, which is their cutting-edge AI supercomputer for AI research. This was from January 24th. Um, this is a cool video. Is our sound off? Yes. Uh, I'll let this play then. So this is just them kind of talking about it. So this is like current day. This is what it looks like. 
Um, and a year, they said last summer when they, like, they first started putting in the first racks, uh, like, this has been, like, six or seven months worth of work. I mean, it's way, they started way before that. But, like, in six months, they went from nothing to this. But it's going to, they said over the next year, just like doing it's going to scale. Dude, this is like networking porn. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, did you see, I don't know if you see those tubes. That, that yeah. was water cooling. Yeah. Did you see that, Matt? Mm-hmm. The black lines? Yeah. So those, that's water cooling going into the, each node. I bet it feels great in there like a little sub i don't know freezer. well it depends like i don't know if they have like hot aisle hot cold hot cold hot aisle cold aisle or if they're just doing the water cooling and there's this ambient temperature um everywhere else but yeah so those look at that those are chillers that's big that's some big water line chillers too. dude and it going it's going into every node hmm. but it's, it's i just i would just love to walk through that yeah so pretty Kudos to those guys installed that stuff. Like, they're using the latest uh, technology as far as, like, the networking goes, like, the, for the InfiniBand. And then the pure storage that they're using is, like, the some of the fastest storage you can get to. It's, it, like, here's – this is what it looked like before. It, like, she was talking about it. Like, go go to the link and watch this video with the audio. I just don't want us to get fly for it. But, like, when they were just rolling in those first couple of racks, she was talking about it. And, like, here it is right here. Check that out. Like – even their freaking skid things got like blue LEDs mm. on it. Did you see that? It says Facebook. Look at that. Yeah, mm. there they are rolling in the. What what's the Infiniband? What is? Uh, I, it's I, in the, I, the networking. But I mean, what? Uh, well, it, I, I think new... the version that they're using, it's been around for a while, but it's constantly oh. gotten faster. I think their version they're using is like sixteen hundred gigabits a second. Jesus. Hmm. That's from node to compute node to compute node, which. And it's, um, uh, it, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the details, but it's, there was there's, some there's no, there's I no over commitment. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. Don't, I don't know. So what you know how, is. like, so if you've got like a network switch that has like 10 ports on it uh-huh. and you've got 10 computers, uh-huh. well, that switch can only handle so much bandwidth. So if you've got 10, one gigabit ports, you, that switch may not be necessarily be able to handle 10 gigabits at line rate. Oh, okay. They can. Like, if they say it can do 1,600 megabits a second, every single connection can do that. There's no Ooh. overcommit. Like, it's like almost like having a dedicated route for each That's crazy. connection. And all this to just to see what we <laughs> are maybe clicking on or liking. Yeah, so they, this isn't their first one. This is just, the, like, the second generation of the one that they already had built a while back. But as it stands today, and this isn't, you know, it's going to get much bigger than this, it's 20 times faster than their previously based V100. So the V100 is the the NVIDIA GPU set that they're using in the older ones. Um, It's nine times faster um, for the AI. So when they talk about the AI RSC versus the NVIDIA NCCL collectives, um, and then the large-scale workflow is faster than their it's three times faster. And this is just the current state, and it's not even fully built out yet. Um, so it says the RSC, which is the, um, what they're, it's the abbreviation for the research super cluster. So that's what they're abbreviating to is RSC. It will help Meta's AI research uh, team build new and better AI models that can learn from trillions 
of examples work across hundreds of different languages. So like they would, they were talking about how they could translate bunch of different languages simultaneously in real time. Jesus. Like if like say you're in VR, you're in the metaverse mm, in your go. VR headset, you speak a different language than me. You speak a different language than me. There's could be hundreds of people all speaking different languages. It will translate it to your native language in, in real, real time. time, or it could potentially. I mean, that's pretty cool. Like, it's very cool. Um, and then, like, what they're saying, like the diet, the just the, I guess what, what was it, the dialects, or just like different being ways able to learn, you would have yeah, that the you say dialects. your language because yeah. you know you're from Louisiana or you're from the Carolina or what, you know, whatever, like you, you have a, an accent. And are you talking about like India? There's hundreds of different dialects in India for the same language. So yeah, they're talking about how they can seamlessly analyze Crazy. text images and video. They can develop new augmented reality tools and much more. Uh, they'll be able to train the largest models needed to develop advanced AI for computer vision, uh, speech recognition and more. Um, they saw they they also help uh, they also hope that it will help them build entirely new AI systems that could, for example, power real time voice translations to large groups of people, each speaking a different language, so they can seamlessly collaborate on a research project or play a game together through AR. Ultimately, the work done uh, will pave the way towards building technologies for the next major computing platform, the metaverse where AI-driven applications and products will play an important role. I just see Ready Player One. That's, <laughs> right? that's the only thing I see out of all this. I mean, because if when you think about it, if you're in the metaverse, I don't think. and this thing is translating all the languages of the world yeah. to your selected, I speak English, so I need everything translated in English. You've broken so many barriers to connect people. Yeah. Because now everyone speaks, in a sense, everyone's, you know, language. Yep. And it says that they've they mm. they've they've have a they've had a committed long term investment in AI since 2013, when they created the Facebook AI Research Lab. Um, but this is like the next version, and they say it includes self supervised learning, where the algorithms can learn from vast numbers of unlabeled examples and transformers, which allow AI models to reason more effectively by focusing on certain areas of their input. Matt's going to have an aneurysm. Well, and I just want to point out, like, and just to show here, anything that's that's highlighted as a hyperlink, that's like another, like, huge, long article explaining, like, what those things are. Well, this article's already long enough as it is. I know. So, what, (laughs) not what if, it sounds like they could, if they used this technology, it would be a waste in call centers. Yeah. So when that person calls tech support or whatever it is, and you know the, we're outsourcing call centers to other there countries, could, where could be a language barrier. Yes. Yeah. So now when that person, wherever they are, that doesn't speak the native language the in Middle Tennessee, yeah. somehow this AI goes, oh, they're calling from this area code. So in this area code, they have this the certain way of talk yeah. speaking. Yeah. So dialect. now this person, wherever they might be, not in Middle Tennessee, everything that they're saying 
is kind of coming across in. They can make it sound like it's somebody that they're down the street from them or yeah. something. Yeah. So, they could give them so an AI. So they would AI. be so aggravated. Yeah. You know, I, I in, see in the, the down. I see the downside yeah. of that because scammers are going to love that. <laughs> True. <laughs> Um, but how are scammers going to get access to this? Well, technology? yeah, hopefully they unless they sell it, they could sell it or or license scammers it out. Scammers have that kind of money. I don't know. I would hope not. But so they talk about the first generation of this infrastructure. Dang, that's a good idea. That was designed in 2017. That they're using currently. It's four years old now, or almost four years old. Has 22,000 NVIDIA V100 Tensor Core GPUs in a single cluster. That performs 35,000 training jobs a day. Up until now, this infrastructure has set the bar for Meta's research in terms of its performance, reliability, and productivity. Do you have, do you have any idea about this V100? Yeah. So it's Phys- it's physical spec. Like you have a thir- what 3090? 3090. Yeah. Like, do we know if the V100 is it's physically the same size? Is it smaller? Like, uh, I'm I don't trying know. to get a perspective of 22,000 of these. Like in, the, have in to, this have room, is that where they're all? Is that room a whole node of twenty-two thousand? So each one of those compute nodes could have several of the V one hundreds in them. Huh. Like you could have a like it doesn't have to be one per server. I'm trying to find a picture for you. So it's kind of over there on the shop thing, right? Well, it, like it, depending, like they they're probably custom building theirs. Yeah, you. Can, I mean, it looks like. A, a, a normal a, a kind nor- of yeah graphics. Why is it called a Tesla V100? That's that's the just a different version of it. But you oh, see, okay. see the price on that? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. So yeah, the in, here's the uh, here's the Nvidia site. So and this is this is the old one. There's they're not even using this one in the new one. Tensor didn't Google make that? No, Nvidia did. Tensor. Well, they're calling it Tensor Cores, but. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who like technically owns the name or if anybody does, but um, yeah, the NVIDIA V100 Tensor Core is the most advanced data center GPU ever built, um, high performance. So it has six, uh, either a 16 or 32 gig config, up to 32 CPUs in a single GPU. That's crazy. And and their node things that Meta could is have, using. I don't know. Yeah, they. I don't know if the old ones have. I don't know how many of the old ones have in there. But the cluster that they were using in the old one before this new one had 22,000 of those V100s, which have, up to, which have 32 CPUs each in them. That's why, the, that's why <coughs> NVIDIA is owning the market for AI. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in early 2020, they decided that they wanted to accelerate their progress and design a new infrastructure, computer infrastructure or computing infrastructure on a clean slate, take advantage of the new GPUs and new network fabric technology. They wanted this infrastructure to be able to train models with more than a trillion parameters on data sets as large as an exabyte. To provide a sense of scale, an exabyte is equivalent to 36,000 years of high-quality video. So if you had, uh, I don't know if it's HD or 4K, I don't know what they they determine high quality, but if you were to watch it, it would take you 36,000 years to watch a petabyte or an exabyte's worth of high quality video. (laughs) It's a lot of data. (laughs) So um, this is what I, so yeah, so this is when it talks about uh, 
and a supercomputer is built by combining multiple GPUs into a compute node. So, like, if you have, like, a server, like, a, a one server, you could have multiple GPUs in there. I don't, you know, depends on which one they're using, how many they could fit in there, you know, power, cooling, all that has to be taken into consideration. I'm assuming they custom-built the, theirs for this because they were doing the the, compu- the cooling and everything in the rack. Um and then they're all, the, the, but more importantly, they have to be connected by a very fast network fabric because they have to be able to talk to each other very quickly, or you're going to be bottlenecked. So the RSC today comprises of uh, 760 NVIDIA DGXA100 systems as its compute nodes for a total of 6,080 GPUs, each with an A100, which is more powerful than the V100. And the old systems. I don't remember how much powerful, but I'm sure we could probably find that out. Um, each of those nodes communicates via an NVIDIA Quantum 1600 gigabits a second InfiniBand two-level fabric, two-level CLOS fabric. I'm not sure what the CLOS fabric is. That has no oversubscription. That means it's not shared. Each channel is a full 1600 gigabits a second. No sharing, so it's not being shared by multiple nodes or processes or anything like that. The storage tier has 175 petabytes of pure storage flash array, so it's all flash storage, no moving, no mechanical disks. 46 petabytes of cache and a Penguin Computing Altus Systems, I don't know what that is, and 10 petabytes of pure storage flash blade. So these are just different storage technologies. Um, and Pure has been around for a while. I've, I've seen some of their technology. I've actually used it in a data center before. It's, uh, it's, it's, they were the first ones to like make uh, flash storage at scale mm. that you can use uh, so, for computing. So Klaus... Well, one of the ones, first ones. The Klaus network is a named after uh, Charles Klaus in 1952. 1952. So, so it says, in the field of telecommunications, a CLOS network is a kind of multi-stage circuit-switching network which represents a theoretical idealization of practical <laughs> multi-stage switching systems. Indeed. It was, in a, uh, it was invented by uh, Edison Irwin in 1938 and then familiarized by Charles CLOS in 1952. Wow. So this is old technology <laughs> that they're... They're still That's using crazy. today. That's crazy. And it says the early benchmarks that they did compared with the legacy production and research infrastructure have shown that it runs computer vision workflows 20 times faster, runs the NVIDIA collective communications library more than nine times faster, and trains large-scale NLP models three times faster, which we were talking about earlier. That means a model with tens of billions of parameters can finish training in three weeks compared to nine weeks. Imagine something taking nine weeks to compute and run through the model before you could see, oh, oh, I need to change this now. Now i got to wait another nine weeks. Now they can do it in three. And that's just the current implementation. This thing's like <laughs> Yeah, and here's the phase one. So we kind of talked about this. So 680 of the A100 GPUs, the 200 gigabits a second HDR InfiniBand per GPU with no oversubscription. Um, but... Do you see all the petabyte storage they had up there? Yeah. But it says... Um, when when they scale this to this, what they were predicting it's going to grow to, 
they will have 16,000 GPUs as as endpoints, making it one of the largest such networks deployed to date. Additionally, we designed a caching and storage system that can serve 16 terabytes a second of training data, and we plan to scale it up to one exabyte. It's just, you can't even fathom what, that scale. What kind of power consumption does this place oh, take? Oh, I don't even know. I mean... Well, I did see another article, and I don't think, I don't know if it's this data center, where they were used, they're like partnering with renewable energy to help I mean, power did, some did, of this Do they have like a nuclear reactor <laughs> to run this one building? I, I mean... Yeah, I don't know, dude. Uh, um, so another thing I, I just uh, pulled up, it uh, gives a better description of the CLOS network. It's a, That's the CLOS, right? CLOS. Or, or is it just called CLOS? Uh, CLOS Fabric is Because that was his last name, right? Right. But he's the one. There was another guy that, that had the <clears throat> idea, and then he finalized it. But it says it's a, a type of non-blocking, multi-stage switching architecture that reduces the number of ports required in an interconnected fabric. So basically it's taking, you know, a 48-port switch. Yeah. Cutting it in half and still having a forty-eight port switch. Right, it's just increasing the bandwidth per port so that you don't have to have as many ports, I guess. But yeah. it, so <laughs> just mind blowing is what it and is. And like I said, the, the, this is still being <clears throat> built, so that's still going to grow. So phase two and beyond, it says, um, once they complete phase two of the building building out of this of the the supercomputer, it, they believe it'll be the fastest AI supercomputer in the world. It can perform nearly five exaflops of mixed precision compute. And it says throughout 2022, they're going to increase, they're working to increase the number of GPUs from 6,080 to 16,000. That's like two and a half times, right? <laughs> Which will increase AI training performance by another two and a half percent. The InfiniBand fabric will expand to support 16,000 ports in a two-layer topology with no oversubscription. The storage system will have a target delivery bandwidth of 16 terabytes a second, exabyte scale capacity to meet increased demands. How many? Why is the government Wait. not stepping in? Dude, and like, what are you guys doing again? This is like, this is like, uh, where are they getting the money to do this, though? Dude, I mean, I Facebook, know Facebook is huge, but yeah. This is a. Uh, Imagine if they would use middle out compression. <laughs> Maybe they are. <laughs> Maybe they are. <laughs> this is a. What's the uh, the term in Terminator? What's the the when they when the AI came online? Um, what the heck's the name of it? Skynet. Yeah, this is Skynet, dude. It's <laughs> in the middle of the year this year. Skynet's going to become aware, and we're screwed. Yeah. From Tech Radar, five G Ultra Band. I keep saying ultra band. 5G ultra wideband just appeared on my phone, and the speed is, I've and it's the speed I've always wanted. So this was from Lance uh, Ulanoff um, from Tech Radar. This was actually 15 days ago, and it's funny because th then I seen it when I was out at a location, and you said you seen it at work. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. It's, it's a little different because this is Verizon and ATT. My T-Mobile doesn't have the ultra wideband. Well, I haven't seen it. It has I ultra leave, capacity with T-Mobile. Well, I don't leave my house. So. Well, and yeah, like we're you're only seeing it in certain spots, which is, but they just turned it on. Oh. 
And I don't know if you guys seen, like, there was a bunch of controversy. Uh, the, FFA, the FAA and all the airlines were trying to keep them from turning it on. Why? Because mess with their because that ultra equipment. that ultra wideband spectrum is so strong, they said it can um, mess with the was it the altimeters? I don't know specifically what it was, but, um, yeah, but it, there was like some of the happy. instrumentation on a plane that they don't normally use. But if like it, if they need to manually use it, they said it could. So what they did, they came to a they came to a compromise and they didn't turn it on near the airports, but they turned on the other locations. Which was kind of crappy because they've known this was coming for years. Like, this wasn't something new. They've had time to prepare for it. They just haven't. Well, everybody has time to prepare, prepare for stuff till it happens. And they're like, oh, we should have done this. So, so who, who are we blaming? The airlines or are we blaming the cell phone providers? Airlines. The airlines had, plen- they had years to prepare to make the changes. When, so Verizon... And AT&T bought this Spectrum. Three years ago. Three years ago. They said, this is coming. Yeah, but... You know how many planes you have to outfit with this updated stuff? I mean... That's a lot. For, I, I get for it. something they don't use that often? I mean... Well, that's not... that's Again, that's, like, that's not their fault, right? I mean, it's, it's not Verizon and AT&T's fault. I mean, it, you know... Whatever, but they it didn't like. They made it seem like this was like, oh, we didn't know this was happening. Like they've known for a oh. long time this was happening, and that's why they kept. They, I mean, it was already delayed before, and then they finally just said, no, we're not going to delay it anymore. But we're just not going to turn on the that spectrum near the airports. I wish they would, cause which that's where probably that, where you would want it. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> airport Wi-Fi or yeah. or even LTE or whatever. It's horrible. So Lance talks about like I guess he was on a train and he noticed the the UW which which you're on, if you're on Verizon you'll see 5G UW pop up. He was getting 474 megabits a second download, um, which is the f- 5G ultra wideband. So it this is the 5G C band. This is not normal 5G. Like there's a 5G band and then there's the C band which is this ultra band, and it's what we've been reading about, we've been hearing about, but. We just haven't gotten it until now. So I shared with the guys the other day, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we can zoom into this. I don't know, post, but so on T-Mobile, oh, you have your, uh... 5G UC, as where these guys with the Verizon have. Oh, so what does UC mean? Ultra. Um, ultra capacity is what capacity, they're saying it is. Okay. But I, but out in Lebanon, Ohio, I was getting 420 megabits per second what was the up 10 10 (laughs) and what was your latency 140 something uh loaded ones loaded was 147 and unloaded was 57 so still don't beat my fiber (laughs) but i mean you know 5g was supposed to be this Uh, like huge thing right and it wasn't honestly like i think it's the range though is this is this wideband a better spectrum. I mean, it's it's yeah. It it, it, it over the regular five G band. It is. Um. So why, five five G was supposed to be able to do up to um, uh, ten gigabits a second, but what he was saying is like the most most people were seeing like one forty one fifty, but on average you're probably seeing forty to fifty. Right. 
Um, so, you know, that was the normal, uh, even though it was supposed to be able to do 10 gig. Um, and just nobody was seeing that. But this C band is actually getting us closer. Yeah, we're not, I don't, like, I don't see us like 10 gig over cell phone. Like, I don't think, I don't see that's going to happen anytime soon. But anyway. Well, when the metaverse, <laughs> when this new AI supercomputer yeah, comes online, and, so <laughs> and Skynet comes available, Verizon and AT and T spent collectively about seventy billion dollars to buy different parts of this new band to get the higher speeds, and it's just taken them a long time to roll it out. You know, we had COVID, everything like that. And then there was the whole controversy over the the interference with the aircraft, and so it got delayed again. And then finally they said, we're turning it on, but we just won't turn it on near the airports for now until, like, who knows how long it'll take them to retrofit the planes or to do whatever they need to do so that this isn't potentially going to um, interfere. So we just don't know. But it's starting to pop up in more and more areas. And, I mean, 400 and... Four to five hundred megabits a second is way faster than most people's on the on average in the U.S. Their home internet. So, like, you know, if if they have a like a hundred meg or two hundred meg service, and now they can go out and get a a a five G ultra band home router and get this, uh, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. What are you what are you testing? The five G? Yeah. Just regular five <laughs> well, G. We're also in, the basement in your basement too. with two bars on Verizon. <laughs> oh, God. I'm getting two megabits a second, thirty eight milliseconds unloaded, fifty six loaded. What, right. what how are you testing that? Fast.com. Fast.com? Okay. Yeah. Um let's see what I got here. Off of T Mobile. I mean, because like I have well, Ooh, Spectrum's gig, gonna be bad. I'm on LTE. gig service, which is like nine hundred ish. I think what do you have? You have the gig? No, he's got the oh. four hundred. Yep, and I then got, you have fiber from yes. Cincinnati Bell. Yes. So you get def, you get probably closer to a, a gig more than any of us. Uh, I hit one point two yesterday. And then and sometimes I'll go over that, but my upload's only forty. Yours uh, is two fifty. Yes, and I'm I've been hitting two forty seven. But you can get you can get more than that if you wanted to, right? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Uh, next year I should be able to get uh, two gig down. And 500 up. 500 up. Yeah, I just, like, for <laughs> for a wireless carrier to be able to do five, oh, I know. between yeah. four and 500 down. That would kill I think the I think the upload was still about 20, 15 to 20. Yeah, but still. You said eight, right, or 10? What? Yeah, but you're getting, your it off your, you're getting 10. it off your cell phone. I mean. Yeah, and most, pe- most people don't care about the upload that much. Like, if you're streaming or uploading a lot to YouTube or... Um, you know, sometimes you want, I, I would rather have 500 down and 500 up than a thousand down and the 40, like I would rather have it. I would, I would take 250 down and 250 up right over, over my gig down and 40 up. I mean, I would rather have the higher upload speed. I just, I don't get it. But I mean, I think we're finally starting to see what 5g can do, can do. Now, how long it takes to roll it out? I mean, I know they're all they're they're working on that, and who knows how long the airport situation will take for that. But well, didn't it say though that it wasn't that they didn't turn <laughs> it on by the airports? 
They reduced the power so near the in, airport. Initially, they were just going to reduce the power so that it wouldn't interfere. But now, but then they at the la- they were like, no, no. They kept they said no, we oh. don't. So they the compromise was they just didn't turn it on. Oh, they didn't okay. turn on those bands, that oh, band or whatever at near the airports where it could interfere. So, yeah, they were going to do lower powers and they just didn't turn it on at all. Hmm. And that's currently where where it's at. So, I'd kind of because like of an altimeter. I'd, I think that's pretty. I that's what I mean. That's what, what I said. said was yeah. it because of an altimeter. I'd kind of yeah, like to find a place. I still don't understand how can that can mess with an altimeter. I I don't know. I guess the mm. I don't know what frequency they're using for those things. It, but it's just science, well, Matt. unless they're using it to con, unless they're using <laughs> a similar, <laughs> unless they're using a similar um, frequency to from the plane to some kind of ground equipment. That would and that would yeah, but, interfere. But why, why can't? But but if if Verizon and AT and T own that frequency now, they do. Then they, they bought seventy they billion dollars. I know they can't use that frequency. That's then the airports need to pay them. Hey, I don't know. But yeah, right they here just it use says some kind of laser distance thing for the altimeter. Like if it's, I think if it's this only is, near I think an airport a, during inclement weather, right? Couldn't a laser go down to the ground? Bing. So it says no, that the FAA. Wrong off of fog or rain. I think that's what it was. Is like in bad weather. It says the FAA and the FAA and airlines claimed 5G C band messed with their altimeters, which could be a big problem, especially around airports during inclement weather, when knowing where the ground is becomes kind of important. So, after months of negotiation, delays, and uh, recriminations, AT and T and Verizon agreed in November to lower 5G C band towers power, and then this month. Delay powering on the towers near airports. Oh. So I don't know when it's going to happen. But, yeah, this isn't like their primary system that they use. It's just, it's like a, it's for inclement weather. So they just need to come up with a, a better way or alter this in some way so that they can enable this because we we, well, I, we would need it in airports more than anywhere else. Or at least you would want it available because, like you said, their Wi-Fi just suck because there's so many people. I don't know. It's cool. It's fi- it's like they've been telling us it's going to happen for I don't know how many years. Right. How I long mean, have we had five G? Five years? Four yeah. years? I just I think at the end of the year we're going to have six G. So five G is going to be old news. <laughs> Wait, take that's Wi Fi six or something. Yeah, I'm thinking. No, no Wi Fi seven. I, I have wi- I have Wi Fi six at my house. Seven's coming. Man. Seven's coming out. Yeah. Wi Fi seven. I don't even know what it <laughs> All is. All my APs are Wi Fi six. Yeah, he's got six already. The iPhone six already. The most newer stuff six. Mm. Now seven's coming. I go. I know. Take it. I'm gonna have to spend more money again. Yeah. From visualcapitalist.com. I think we've had them one or once or twice before. It's been a while. Because they do these really cool infographics like this. Um so it says the cost of spaceflight before and after SpaceX. So this is published on January twenty seventh. Um I just I I love the way this looks. Mm-hmm. So it goes back from the nineteen from nineteen sixty and then all the way out to twenty thirty, and then it kind of plots the price per kilogram to put something into space. So if you're putting a satellite or whatever into space, you take the kilogram times you know the, the price per kilogram, and then that's how much it costs. So in the nineteen sixties, so the Saturn Five, it says was about $6,000 per kilogram. The Soyuz was about, I don't know, 65, maybe seven or $8,000. Yeah. Um, and 
I don't know what you got all these little plots, so it must have been other systems they didn't put on here. But look at the space shuttle. Mm-hmm. Over fifty thousand dollars a kilogram to put something in orbit using the space shuttle. It's the government for you. And that was from the eighties. And then it, it kind of <laughs> floated in between, you know, what, six thousand and up between then and then the long March three B was sixty four hundred. The Delta Heavy was probably around eleven, twelve thousand. Then you got the first, you got Falcon One, which was about the same, you know, so almost almost thirteen thousand dollars per per kilogram. But then you start to see it just start look look at this from the seven, the Falcon One to the Falcon Nine. The Falcon Nine, when it first started launching, was down to I don't know, what is that, maybe twenty five hundred ish per kilogram. <laughs> and then you go to the Falcon Heavy, which we have, and we don't see that one launch as much as the Falcon 9. But it's less than 1,600 uh, per, per kilogram. And then as you continue down, and we, don't, we haven't seen the Starship yet or haven't seen it launch, so it's estimating that sometime in 2020, which ho- I hope we see it launch this year, but this has it like more probably like 2024, 24-ish. But less than two hundred dollars per kilogram for the Starship. So I kind of just Google searched uh, what the average satellite weighs. I haven't even been showing this the whole time. <laughs> Sorry. So a communication satellite can weigh up to six tons. Like a normal, like average, like an average communication satellite. That's crazy. So you take that. Back in the day, in the seventies, you said six thousand. Uh, well, it's tons. 6, so. tons. So what's yeah, kilograms to tons? I don't know. How much does a does a Starlink satellite weigh? Which I'm sure, you know, because they're launching their own stuff, they're not paying full price. But still, boys, I can send myself to the moon for sixteen thousand eight hundred dollars. Sixteen thousand eight hundred on the Starship to the moon. Uh, wherever it's into going. Into orbit. Into, into orbit. Wherever it's going. Into orbit. 16,000. I think the moon would cost you a little more. 573 pounds is how much a Starlink satellite weighs. That's 260 kilograms. 260 kilograms? Yes. Times 1,600? 260 times 1,600. $416,000. Per. That seems high. I don't know. But... But they're doing it themselves, like you said. True, yeah. They're not, I guarantee is not. But just cool. look at the scale. Like this blue that they have the outline around is from SpaceX. Mm-hmm. And just in the last, what is this, 2008-ish to 2022, which was put us like right here. Yeah. We're already, we went from almost 13, almost 13,000 to less than 1,000. Yeah, less than 1,000. And then when the when the Starship starts launching, it's going to be under two hundred. Like that is crazy. Like and because it would can't didn't they say that like I don't know was it three or four hundred Starlinks they can take up on the Starship because that thing's so, yeah it was so huge. it was crazy number. it's a lot and this is cool too like I like how they show mm-hmm. all the different rockets that have um, you know over this time period as well yeah the Starship look how much. <laughs> Think the Falcon Nine, you get the Falcon Heavy, and then, and the Falcon Heavy. I don't think it has more payload. It just can carry heavier loads. Yeah. 
because it's got the boosters. I think it's still just a Falcon 9, just got the extra boosters to get heavier payloads off. Yeah, but look at that Saturn Saturn V. Yeah. That thing was massive. And then the Starship, that's just crazy. But it says, um, on December 21st, 2021, so not very long ago, uh, SpaceX Falcon 9... Falcon, Falcon 9 rocket launched a cargo capsule to deliver supplies and Christmas gifts to astronauts on the International Space Station. Then it returned eight minutes later and landed on the drone ship in the Atlantic Ocean, and that marked their 100th successful landing. Um, it says... During the 1960s, NASA spent $28 billion to land astronauts on the moon, a cost today equating to about $288 billion in, in, if you ingest for uh, inflation. The last two decades, space startup companies have demonstrated they can compete against heavyweight aerospace contractors like Boeing and Lockheed Martin. Uh, SpaceX, uh, today a SpaceX rocket launching, launch, I think they just misspelled that, can be 97% cheaper than a Russian Soyuz ride was in the 1960s. 97%. Wow. Cheaper. Yeah, yeah this is a, awesome. another graph. How So, yeah, just look at that. It's just, I mean, this is, the reusability was the key. Mm-hmm. And they talk a little bit about space tourism, but, you know, that's, I don't think that was. That's not for common people yet. Yeah. It's getting there, but, you know, I would, that that is my, Ultimate goal one day to be on Artemis. I mean, you know. Yeah, that'd be cool. Go up to the moon. That would be my perfect end of life. During the last 60 years, roughly only 600 people have flown into space, with the vast majority of them being government astronauts. Crazy. The times we live in. Mm-hmm. From Morning Brew, they reported... Amazon continues to grow despite headwinds, and they're going to raise their Prime subscription by twenty dollars a month. Yeah, you know. Um, I don't know if you guys. Uh, so I've been using Morning Brew for a couple of months now. It's pretty cool. Just sends you an email every morning, like get you like a rundown, latest tech news and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. It's free. I'm gonna to have to get um, on that. Like not sponsored in any way. I just have been using it. I like it. Um, yeah, check it out. It's free, no charge. You just go on there. You say this is the things you want. You're interested in, and every morning you get an email with the tech, the top news in those categories. So, of course, I have like the tech stuff and things like that. Yeah, and then they're going to sell your information of Probably, what you like. Who else isn't? Yeah, true. <laughs> so, Amazon reported the Q4 earnings um, a couple days ago. They have doubled their global workforce since the start of 2020. So they had 800,000 people. Now they have 1.6 million. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, you got to get those packages I mean, out same day or next day. You're talking somehow. about a little over a year. Um, and then they said during uh, a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Um, net income almost doubled from last year <coughs> thanks to its booming cloud business, so Amazon Web Services, and its stake in EV maker Rivian. So when Rivian went public, that IPO was probably a big part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, bigger profits could be on the horizon because Amazon is raising its Prime subscription as well. They haven't done that since 2018, uh, so it will go from 119 to 139 a year. 
I didn't see the exact date. Did you guys see that? I didn't see where they said when that's going to happen. I hopefully my subscription. Hopefully mine are news before then. But I don't know. Um, they also revealed for the first time how big their advertising unit is. It is shockingly huge. They brought in thirty-one billion dollars in revenue last year. That's bigger than YouTube. That's that's bigger than YouTube. So, where where are they at? Like when how when is their revenue? I guess when you're I I don't know where I don't know where is it Amazon Prime like when you're on Amazon Prime and it suggests something. Oh, I guess someone's pay- oh, yeah. Okay. And you know when you search for something on Amazon, it has like the it says uh, like at the top it'll say um, suggested. No, is it say, is that what it says? It says uh, sponsored. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or something like that. So I guess they're paying. To, to be at the top of that search, so I guess that's so what it is. I don't, I don't know what else it would be. Do you guys do you guys belong to Amazon Smile? No. Okay. Should we? Yeah. Is that where they give money to? So, whichever so, thing you sign up for. Yeah. So like I I give money, so a part of my payment it's like a perc- uh, percentage, right, or a very small percentage. Yeah, it's a very small percentage, but in a big way, it's Amazon Smile. So my when I buy off of the Smile page, it gives money to the Wounded Warrior. Uh, Is it project. just for certain things? Then there's a there's list upon list okay. of, of different. Can't almost anybody set up a Smiles Amazon page hmm. thing? I, I don't know. I Let's think you have that. to have a, a charity. Um, I mean, it's it's, put, it's all charity stuff. I gotcha. Okay. So it's almost like um, like somebody just doing an affiliate, but it's for. Uh, Right. Uh, charity. Okay. Yeah. I'll check that out. I always forget about that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, because I, I got it set up, <laughs> so pretty much anything I ever buy is through Amazon Smile. Okay. I'll check that out. I, I always forget about that. I, I, kn- I know what you're talking about. I just never think about it. Um, This is like the Kroger thing where you can set up your so many of your points or whatever mm-hmm. that go to a charity mm-hmm. or whatever. Um. So it says to schools or whatever. Yeah. So it says Amazon has spent has spent um, the amount Amazon has spent building out its physical infrastructure, warehouses, cloud networks, etc. Was sixty one billion dollars last year. Uh, It's double the capex, so capital expenditures, of oil giants Exxon Mobil, Chevron, and ConocoPhillips. Combined, Jesus. So they spent more in capital expenditure. Expenditure that means they're building new stuff. They're spending money to build new things uh, than all three of those oil companies. But is that is that a fair comparison? Though? I don't know because I'm I sure mean, that th- those those, are... those places they're probably not spending a lot of money right now because well, especially last year because gas was demand was down. So yeah, I don't know. I like I don't know what their normal capex is. So it would probably be been helpful if they said normally their capex is this, but yeah. I don't know. I I just don't. I I can't say I see a lot of gas stations being built around, yeah. especially Exxon and Chevron and Conoco. Like, yeah, I don't even know Conoco Phillips what like, gas stations they have. And I don't see them building more refineries, which would be part of their physical infrastructure. Like, right? I don't know. Like, that seems kind of like a. I think it's just like that. Normally, when you think about big oil, yeah. like it's a big like. I just think they're just saying like they're on that level, yeah, which is pretty crazy. So sixty-one billion is a lot of money. Yeah. In twenty nineteen, the the annual cap capex of ExxonMobil was twenty to twenty-five billion, and that's a reduction. Oh, I'm sorry, 
it was twenty twenty five billion last year, and that was a reduction of thirty billion in twenty nineteen. So almost cut in half. So they normally would be each probably as much as Amazon. That's crazy. Um, it says, what does this mean? Well, Amazon firing on all cylinders, despite supply chain bottlenecks, rising labor costs, <coughs> and the ongoing pandemic. Already a $1.4 trillion company, its stock shut up more than 14% after its earnings came out. And I think I posted in Slack um, where they had the biggest single one-day gain ever in, in their stock hmm. yesterday. And I don't have any of it. Oh, well. So from Starlink, uh, they announced a new version, I guess, a new tier called Starlink Premium. So it's 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 double the antenna capability of Starlink. Uh, it would deliver faster internet speeds and higher throughput. And you can order it now. Delivery start in Q2. Um, we don't have the size, but it's it's a it looks like a square dish dishy instead that, that of would uh, be a rectangle, sir. It could be uh, the angle. I don't know. Square, rectangle. That's a rectangle. So the one I have is is circle. It's a circle. But then they replaced that and they made a more rectangle one. This looks more square to me when you compared to the rectangle one, which is the current one now. But you know, could be it could be an optical. I will see who's right when it comes out, Daron. It could be an optical illusion. But mm-hmm. um Yeah, I mean it, it looks doesn't, pretty square. <laughs> It says it's designed specifically for business and high-demand users, and it helps ensure bandwidth for critical operations even during peak network usage. So what I want to know is, are they going to prioritize the traffic for if you're a premium over the lowly serfs who have regular Starlink, and am I going to get my bandwidth taken away? I don't know, but I'm never going to have it for $500 a month. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that, it was kind of... I was kind of... De- depressed to see i was like i was hoping it was going to be way better than this but so it says 150 to 500 megabits a second and i'm getting that i'm getting 150 to 200 now and latency of 20 to 40 which is also what i'm getting now and it says enabling throughput connectivity for small offices storefronts and super users across the globe um no long-term contracts which we've known that so like this isn't a big huge leap over what they already have the only thing I can think of is you're getting pri- some. It says easy setup and priority support, which okay, um, but I, I just I don't understand why it's it's you know I pay a hundred. It's ninety nine dollars a month for regular Starlink. This is five hundred dollars a month, plus it's twenty five hundred dollars for the equipment, which see that that does look more maybe, rectangular. Maybe than the modem. Than maybe the modem is better. I don't know because, well, didn't we say like they're already taking a loss on the regular Starlink, right? Because wouldn't we say it was like fifteen hundred dollars almost for them to make one, and you're only paying five hundred for it? Mm-hmm. So maybe they're just not taking any loss on this, and they're just passing the full cost on to the well, businesses yeah, or, or it's going people to buying business it. And stuff, but um, and it says unlimited service locations, so you could have a bunch of these, and then you can manage them all from the same portal. So if you had a bunch of different uh, locations for your business, um, you can have as many as you want. And um, it's all from a single account. Um, 
But I would just think there has to be cheaper options than five hundred dollars a month, yeah. especially if you're going to do multiple of these. I don't know, but once you get unless into you're the, super super rural. But if you get into the business grade of stuff, I mean, yeah. the the city's internet is stupid expensive, and the and it's fiber, and we don't get, you know, the speeds aren't that great. True. But is it is it your infrastructure from where the fiber comes into the city? Is it is do you have bottlenecks? Throughout the city, it's, that's it's not about bottlenecks. It's about a double redundancy. So, the city's internet will never go down because yeah, it they can't. Have, they because have more of, than one type of because connection. we have a dispatch. Well, that's why I have that, two different types of connections. So, if Spectrum goes down, I have Starlink, which I don't use it as my primary connection. Well, I didn't even see it on your Wi-Fi list. Yeah, it's not gonna. It you won't unless it unless Spectrum goes down. It won't even kick over because I don't have it load balanced at all. It's backup. It's backup. It's failover only, which also stinks because I can't even get to the stats unless it's on. Which you know, it's but it's it's getting better every every month. This would be this would be nice for a large community that had parks, uh, a city that had parks that were rural that they couldn't get internet too or but wouldn't the regular one be fine yeah probably i just i don't under i don't and maybe they're just they just haven't released the the rest of the details yet because if they're like i can't do um there's a lot of things i am not able to get into their modem and do right. or their router and do that i could with my own stuff right so maybe this will be more of a prosumer like small office type where you have more flexibility um but still, that doesn't make it worth five hundred dollars a month. No. So, like this thing would need to be more gigabit. Like if this was gigabit down and like two fifty up, more like fiber, then it might be worth. Like I would seriously consider because <laughs> I'm paying one hundred thirty five dollars a month for Spectrum yeah. and ninety nine dollars a month for that. So I'm paying two almost two fifty now, and I could get rid of both of them. I don't know. It's like it would have to be. At least a gig, and then two fifty up for me to even consider it. Because the problem is, is, you get Spectrum has a monopoly. They put in Spectrum, and like nobody else puts anything in there because they don't want to build. A, they don't want to overbuild each other. And I get it, but I don't know. I just five. That's just doesn't that seem like it's too much? I I well then the twenty like you said the twenty five hundred dollar buy in just for the equipment is insane. Yeah. yeah, but that's nothing for a yeah. Small business or well, medium business too. But you would have to be super rural to not have some kind of connectivity to something else. Yeah, I mean, I get it. There's probably way more use cases and companies that can use this that we're just not thinking of. We're being, I mean, me, I'm being naive, and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just being stupid about it. But like, there, I'm sure there are probably locations in in states that like Montana, Nevada, and. Right. Like, they just don't have the infrastructure. Like, yeah, they were like, yes, please, we will pay this. I, I get it. But I, what you're getting over regular Starlink doesn't seem worth the extra $400 to me if you don't have anything already, right? <laughs> you know? It, but, I mean, I, I understand, like, the prioritization, like, if they're going to prioritize the premium traffic over regular traffic, eh, I mean, maybe it's worth it. I don't know. Yeah, I want to know how big that thing is like, compared to the... It's huge. Is it is it the same size, maybe slightly larger, and they've condensed more antennas and they've made a, the form factor smaller? Or 
is it double the size so that it can have double the antennas? And because I mean, mine is like twenty three inches, yeah, almost twenty four inches, and then the new one's like twelve by fifteen. So is think, this like a fifteen by fifteen, twenty by twenty? What is it? You would think if they made it bigger and doubled the antennas, you would be able to get faster speeds. Right. I mean, that, that you are because I can't get five hundred. But with more antennas, they can yeah, but, use but more satellites you, at the same time. I mean, are you going to reliably see five hundred? I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. like were they me, saying one? I, I got a gig down, and, that's and I, I see nine eighty like, most all yeah. the time. If they're saying one fifty to five, like I'm getting one fifty now, pretty consistently. Like, if they said three fifty to five, yeah, hmm. I just I I think they. I just I don't see maybe, the maybe the value the, here. Maybe the one fifty is like worst case scenario, yeah. cloudy. But I rarely see below one hundred. Yeah. Now, granted, I don't check it like every hour <coughs> of the day to see like right. you know. There's sometimes it may be worse, but you think once the satellite coverage is there, especially now that they're starting to put in the second tier with the laser interconnects, um, that it's going to get better and better and better. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's. It, I mean, it, I'm not saying that it's not a can't be a good option, but. Um, so, are you going to take one uh, for the team, Darren, and buy this one so you can compare? Why would he want that? He's got a. He's got freaking. I mean, you took fiber. one for the team, and you got the first Starlink. So he's, one of us has got to take it for the team and get the second. I don't know, man. If I'm going to spend that much money, I'll have a NAS server at my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I just, I just. There it needs. There needs to be more features to make it worth that uh, that price, I guess. So. Ooh. If you were a trucker, and you had this, and you and your wife traveled because you did it as a trucking business, mm-hmm. you could write that off. You could write off the regular one. And at, but. But you wouldn't have the speed, the extra speed. Dude, I'm telling you, nothing compared to 150 is. 150 compared to nothing, I mean, is, is pretty good. 150 megabits compared to, I mean, heck, once ultra once ultra wideband gets uh-huh. more and more, like, yeah, <laughs> I just I I just I I just felt like it was going to be better than this for that price. I I would agree. I concur. Thank you for joining us for episode four zero forty episodes, man. Just over two years. Well, no, we haven't even hit two years yet, have we? Yeah. When is two years? March, April? March, March, end of March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're coming up, man. 40, 40 episodes. Seems like yesterday we started this. But uh, thank you for joining. We greatly appreciate it. If you're listening on the audios, thank you. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, thank you. Oh, Check us out on the Tiki Talkies. How does this episode look? Oh, yeah. So When you're watching the video playback. For episode 40... Um, we're using the uh, we're using uh, I've had the camera, but we haven't used it for our podcast yet. We've used it for our beer drop, beer drop reviews, but we did change our camera. Um, it's also going to be in 4K for the first time. We've never done 4K before on this, so let us know what you think. Does it look better? Does it look the same? Like if you're watching it on your phone, probably doesn't matter, but uh, you know, let us know. So we had the camera, might as well use it and. Uh, Listen what you think. Greatly appreciate it. We will see you in a couple weeks. Peace.